Welcome to Forward. Educate yourself on the new world. The podcast of the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance with your host, Dr. Bobby Maybe. Real chiropractic talk. No rainbows, no unicorns. Start putting in the work. The biggest names in the industry, the legends, the innovators, the up-and-comers. This is the podcast for progressive DCs. So buckle up. Passion is the feeling you have that you would probably do this for free, and you can't believe somebody pays you to do it. Hey, everybody. This is Dr. Bobby Maybe. I'm the host of this podcast, the podcast, the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance. Today, my guest is Dr. Jordan Shallow. He is also known as the Muscle Doc. He is a chiropractor and a strength and conditioning coach who does strength and conditioning work with the Stanford rugby team. Uh, as you heard in our intro, we interview the legends and the up-and-comers on this podcast, and I would consider Dr. Shallow an up-and-comer graduate of Palmer Chiropractic College West. We're going to get into uh, sports-related chiropractic discussions and so much more beyond that. Uh, other than that, stay tuned at the end of the podcast for the Pain Zone Minute, dun, 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 where we talk about what we sort of learned in the podcast and some insights that I took from, from the guest. And enjoy a couple more messages from our sponsors. We love our sponsors. Thank you so much for supporting the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance and the podcast itself. And we hope to see you soon at a Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance event. Oh, perchance, maybe Forward 2019, which is now launched and official. It's going to be at Logan University, the Purser Center, September 20th through the 22nd. I'm not going to get into who the guests are yet. Uh, most of our speakers have been confirmed, and there's some great, big, and awesome names and topics that we're going to cover. But I want to make sure they're locked in, locked in before I start dropping names. But if you were there last year, you know this is event an event you don't want to miss. And if you weren't there last year, but you heard how awesome it was, you know this time around, you will not want to miss it. So you can, you can go to Forward Thinking Chiropractic Events, or actually I think on Facebook it's called Forward Chiropractic Events, and it's the event page for uh, the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance 2019 Annual Convention at Logan University, September 20th through September 22nd. And with that, let's get on with our program. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we have a new sponsor. And for their ad, they're going to make me say a whole bunch of big words. So let's give this a shot. Advanced Musculoskeletal Therapies, home of the Miracle Wave. Did you know that shock wave therapy is effective for more than just plantar fasciitis? This cutting-edge technology has delivered impressive success rates in several research studies, including Achilles tendinopathy, lateral epicondylopathy, greater trochanteric pain syndrome, plantar fasciitis, patellar tendinopathy, calcific tendinitis of the shoulder. Once again, Advanced Musculoskeletal Therapies, home of the Miracle Wave, offers acoustic and shockwave technology. We're proud, to, they are proud to support the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance and welcome an opportunity to educate members on how this technology can improve patient outcomes and drive revenue for your practice. If you're interested, and you should be, contact Gerhard, Mary Edna, 
and the team at AMT at 770-612-8245. That's 770-612-8245. Or by email at info at amttherapies.com to set up a free consult. And thank you guys so much for supporting the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance podcast. Pain Zone, my friends. You want some free samples? Check them out. iPainZone.com. I highly recommend them. I use Pain Zone myself. A company that is dedicated to the professional. You're not going to find these products at a web on a website or on a, at a big box store. They're for you and you only, so you can control the quality of the products you recommend to others. And don't forget to Check us out. Pain Zone sponsors the Pain Zone Finish at the end of the podcast where we summarize what we've learned from today's episode. Enjoy. Join Parker Seminars in the heart of Las Vegas, February 21st through the 23rd for an incredible three days of growth, education, and inspiration. Featured among our 37 speakers are world-renowned evidence-based leaders, Dr. Craig Liebenson and Dr. Stuart McGill. The Parker Seminars Las Vegas has the people shark Damon John and Baseball Hall of Famer Cal Ripken Jr. sharing their unprecedented insights on leadership and success. Please visit parkerseminars.com and use our special promotional code CLV50 to receive $50 off our unheard of Las Vegas single attendee registration price. Register today. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Forward, the podcast of Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance. I'm your host, Dr. Bobby Maybe, and today we have a slight departure from what we've been Doing in this season of the podcast, we've had some big names. That doesn't mean this isn't a big name we're bringing on. It's just a young Cairo. So I want to hear from the young guys what they're seeing and the young gals, what they're doing and what's going on in the profession in the eyes of uh, a younger Cairo, not somebody who's out in the scene and, and has seen all kinds of stuff. So uh, this doc, I thought, has a very refreshing and interesting approach, and he gets sort of this new style that I want to talk about when it comes to promoting your practice, and your business. Uh, this is Dr. Jordan Shallow, also known as the Muscle Doc. What is up, my friend? Hey, what's up, man? How are you? Thanks for having me on. Good. Um, so we don't even know where we're going to go with this podcast today, but um, to start, hey, did you ever notice like uh, when you became a chiropractor, everywhere you go, like if you meet someone in continuing education, it's like the first question is, where do you go to school? So yeah. oh, let's do that. Where do you, where'd you go to school? Every, that's like, what's your sign? Yeah. Where'd you go to school, man? <laughs> it immediately tells someone everything I need to know about the way you practice. That's right. It can, yeah. for sure. Well, where, wait, where did you go to school? I went to, it's now the University of Western States. I went to Western States Chiropractic College. Okay. And then, uh, you know, Greg Freeman would also add, you always also have to add the, the Harvard of chiropractic colleges because we were all, all told that our college was the Harvard of chiropractic college. Oof, that's like saying University of Phoenix online is like the standard <laughs> of online. I don't know if we can make the comparison, but you guys were, and I know very little about the school, but when we used to talk boards, you guys are the ones we worried about for like first, first round of boards. Cause it's like, you got to pass on a curve. Yeah. Like, we, yeah, we skewed that curve for sure. Yeah. Where'd you go to school? I was Palmer West. All right. right. Um, so yeah, uh, 
the two schools in the Bay Area, uh, Palmer West and then uh, Life West. So, I mean, I'll reserve judgment on, on the other because I'm still too close in proximity to start talking. I won't, man. I won't. Now, that doesn't mean you cannot have a good provider come out of any of those schools. I mean, you can have a good provider come out of anywhere and you can have a bad provider come out of any of the schools. Sure. But I'll tell you, because I, I was telling you off the air that uh, when I first started practice, I practiced in south part of San Jose. Los Gatos was where I lived in California. And we had five or six clinics in the Bay Area. You know, from San Jose, Redwood City, San Francisco, Oakland. We had we had clinics all around. So we would hire associates. And that was one of my jobs was to interview associates, get them trained up and, and into the system. Onboarding is what they call it nowadays. You sharp kids. And I will tell you that one of those schools consistently produced a product that was worthwhile for hiring in, in our evidence-based sort of practice that we had. One of those schools, and I'm, I'll leave it up to anybody to assume which one was which, uh, consistently produced a product that we would not hire. Yeah, it's, I think when personal dogmatism makes its way to the higher ranks of some of these institutions, you see it just reflect and reverberate, and then not only through the school, right, then into the market. And then it, it's, a, it's a shame for a lot of us because you have to overfight or overcome the stigma and kind of fight the stigma of I mean, the best compliment I was ever given out of the gate, even in the, even in the um, kind of the clinical system within the curriculum of school was, no, no, don't worry. He's not like most chiropractors. And I was like, I could wear that like a badge <laughs> of honor, but like, whoa, wait, what am I getting myself into if what I'm doing as a 10th quarter student is differentiating me from most chiropractors and it's something that's appealing to, to the masses. So uh, yeah, it, it can be, it can be somewhat of a, somewhat of a curse um, where you go to school. But like you said, you can find a, you can find a diamond in the rough and, and vice versa. Like you can find a lot of shit in places where it's, it's said to be otherwise. Well, this profession's no, no stranger to existential conundrums. You know, it's like once you get out, as you probably well have now realized, you are now not just a provider of healthcare, but you're also an entrepreneur which is what some of us wanted, right? Like when I learned about chiropractic, I said, I want to be a chiropractor, not a PT because those guys own their own businesses and I want to be a, a, whatever, a lone wolf or my own business owner or the boss or whatever. When I was a kid, uh, like when I was 19 and said, I want to be a Cairo. It, was be, it wasn't because of the Mercedes 80s because I wasn't that old, but it, it was like I wanted to be my own boss and a healthcare provider. And Where else could you do that at that time? And it's like, but you get in these existential conundrums because it's like, all right, uh, you get out and you realize you're an entrepreneur and what's the goal of being an entrepreneur is, is letting the potential customer or client understand how you're different. Yeah. Yeah. I think taught in school to be all the same. I think some of the, some of the problems we run into is that you're not screened for that intangible like being able to manage the stress of being an entrepreneur, you're screened as, you know, from an academic standpoint, but there's a lot of intangible factors that, that play into the success or lack of success as you go in and start owning and operating your own business. And oh, that, I mean, it's not something that's, that in my experience was reinforced in school or really taught You're Like, here's how you don't get sued. Here's how you get paid by insurance. It's like, Oh, yeah. Oh, thanks very much. Appreciate that. Um, so what would, I think that kind of sets the stage for people to, if they can't run a practice that can sustain them 
from their own personal marketing, their own drive or their own intangible factors of having that entrepreneur mindset, that's when they fall victim to a lot of the, you know, the less than ethical schemes that chiropractors are kind of known to get up to. Cause when it comes down to it, you almost, you can almost understand where it's like, you know, if you have to run a treatment plan model or a PI scheme or something like that, a rack and crack kind of practice, it's like if the only other option is that you, you don't, you don't pay your mortgage or you don't eat food. It's like, yeah, I can understand the survival mindset, but I think a lot of it's on the institutions to screen out because we're not going to be plugged into a system like physical therapists or like MDs. Yeah. There's no, uh, there's no escalator. No, it's actually it almost literally, it's almost like you get kicked out of your school on your ass. Yeah. It's like, welcome to the jungle. Good luck. You got yeah, six like, months until student loans start kicking in. Pretty much. Um, is it still six months? I don't know. <laughs> it's different for me. I had to take, um, I had to take, cause I'm from Canada originally. So uh, I had to take okay. out like a whole another line of credit thing. So if the dollar keeps going the way it is, I can hopefully find 20 bucks on the street and pay off my student loans. It, yeah. Like, you guys are. Yeah. yeah. It's not going well. It's if Trudeau keeps making dumb decisions, you know, for a price of a nice meal at in and out, I should be able to pay off my student loans here soon. But well, they um, got a, uh, they got a Stu McGill conference in Vancouver coming up and it's all of, it's, it's like, I call it Palooza. It's all of McGill's courses in one weekend. Oh goodness. And, uh, so, so at the, there's a little asterisk down at the bottom as you register that says, of course, like the Canadian currency and the American currency are different. So your price may be different. And I clicked the button to register and it was like way lower than what I would, what the price was at because of the dollar, you know? Yeah. So I just sort of said, you know, I'll wait a bit. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. see. That goes down a little bit more. Kind of watch the stock ticker in the morning. to show up at some point. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, there you go. I'll tell you. <laughs> um, so when did you, when did you, what made you realize that you had to differentiate yourself early on? Did, was it a realization or is it just who you are? You know what? I think a lot of it had to do with the chiropractors that treated me when I was an athlete. I, yeah. I had maybe a, a much different indoctrination in a chiropractic. Um, just the people I saw through the sports that I played growing up or even sought out personally. Um, I have a family member, I have an uncle or sorry, a cousin of mine who's a chiropractor and they all specialized in treating athletes. So I really didn't know a lot of the stigmas of chiropractors until I moved to California, especially in the Bay area with like, you know, you got Santa Cruz there, people are putting stones on you. Yeah. People are pulling your spirits out and, and wearing fedoras and all this nonsense. And it's like, I didn't, that wasn't, that doesn't really exist. Um, or at least it didn't exist in my, uh, in sort of in my world going into it. So I just, kind of assumed everyone practiced the same because it did to my knowledge it seemed very standardized from the treatment I would receive as an athlete um and then as I went through the Palmer curriculum I started to like you just kind of hear things and you know wait C1's gonna fix everything like oh that doesn't sound right and then as I pursued athletics even further I just kind of went with what would work for me and then I dug into the research and tried to to scale out some of the research I was coming across and, and implement it into my own training um, and then implement it into some of the athletes I would coach uh, remotely or, um, or in person here in the Bay Area. And I started to kind of see some of the, I mean, you don't know what you don't know, right? But I started to see some of the pitfalls and then where some of the common mistakes that 
that chiropractors were making when it came to extrapolating out gen pop kind of practices that seem to have been working and kind of timeless methods and then where where the gaps are between that and applying it to to more an athletic population so for me it was it was always i guess rooted kind of in my own experience with sports um and then just taking that experience and and turning it into how i treated my patients whether or not they were athletes or not what was what were your sports when you were younger uh hockey was a big one go figure Oh, yeah. Um, so I played, I mean, played everything as a kid. I, I swam, played lacrosse, cross country, track and field. Uh, but as I got a little bit older, I started to specialize, um, 16, 17, 18, played junior hockey in Canada, pretty much right up to the time I moved out, um, to the Bay area. And then I switched from hockey into competitive powerlifting. Um, and that's kind of been my sport ever since. Um, how many years now do you think you've been a powerlifter? Uh, so, I mean, even when I was playing hockey, uh, I was training fairly intensely with, you know, squat bench and deadlift. Uh-huh. Probably if I didn't train like that, perhaps I would have been a better hockey player. I was, <laughs> I was kind of a meathead of, of, of a hockey player, but, uh, it made for a smoother transition into powerlifting, but competitively, uh, June of this year would have been th- three years. Yeah. Yeah. So now, um, now you're starting to see something happen. Yeah, it's uh, it's a cool sport. It's a good community for, I mean, obviously just for pursuing the sport at a high level, but also uh, there is an ancillary business benefit to it as well. Um, but yeah, it's the now I'm starting to play around in the ranks of uh, of some pretty some pretty big names of the sport. So it's it's cool. It's nice and it helps again with the feedback into the business. Well, most of the young guys don't, I say guys just, you know, most of the young doctors, ladies, you know what I'm talking about. Most of the young doctors don't, I I say it all the time. I say, it doesn't matter what community you choose to be in, whether it's the underwater basket weaving community, the powerlifting community. I mean, obviously a lot of people gravitated towards the CrossFit community, either because they're truly interested in the sport or they just heard they can get a lot of patience from it. I mean, you have to be genuine but join a, commu- a community genuinely and it will benefit you um, business-wise. You don't have to be that guy in the group who's marketing and, and chasing people down within the community. You just have to be in the community and participate and people will gravitate towards you. Yeah, I think, I think you hit the nail on the head there. It's, it's definitely like I've been passionate about lifting weights. I mean, I was a personal trainer, strength and conditioning coach, and a chiropractor just kind of a natural expression of that. Um, so I mean, lifting weights is my, like, I would say more so than anything else. That's kind of first love, even, um, even more than, and than hockey, which kind of got me into all this, but I think uh, we saw it, um, now it's a little bit different and and it's maybe a little bit more obvious that the business is there with the presence of social media and marketing, um, within the fitness community. So what I would see is, I mean, I was always into lifting weights, but started powerlifting when I got out here. And even in the clinic system in school, it kind of gave me an upper hand because I was a part of that community, but I was a part of that community for the right reasons. And people can smell your bullshit. Oh yeah. People can smell the car salesman pitch because by and large, I mean, as a Cairo student, I went in not really knowing what chiropractors did uh, as a, as a whole or what the scope of chiropractic care really consisted of. So, and I was someone who was entering the profession. So knowing that, when you go and approach someone or someone approaches you in a different arena, the trust is transferable, right? 
people come see me because I don't know what I do. They just, they see me in the gym and go, Oh, that looks pretty cool or heavy or whatever. They trust that I know what I'm doing with a barbell and they just kind of transfer that trust over in the office. And so for me, it's like, you're not going to gain that trust if you're not passionate about it. Like when people would come up and talk to me in the gym, the last thing I would really want to do is be super social. But because of that, they saw that I was, I wasn't there for, the marketing, I was there to pursue the same thing they were. And then yeah. when it came up in conversation, whether a week down the road or a month down the road, like, oh, you're a chiropractor? I had no idea. And again, you want to you want to stand out against the herd. That's how you do it, right? The gym I would go to when I was in clinic it was, you know, four blocks from the school. And in the, the parking lot was just littered with intern cards all over. <laughs> like, just the wind would gust and you'd pick it up and be like, oh, no, I know this guy. It's as if they were airdropping them over Santa Clara. So it's just like yeah. you differentiate yourself by being less accessible, which seems a little like, uh, like diametrically opposed to the goal, but being more subtle, I found, and just being in pursuit of the thing you're passionate about really resonates with people. And that'll help kind of build a patient base that's loyal and that isn't just going to kind of go to the next guy with a better sales pitch. It's ironic, right? Like uh, we all get into this profession because of some sort of passion and then you go through school and, and some people get out and it's like, I got to, now I got to do this, 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 and this, and I got to get new patients. I got to run this scheme and I got to have this sort of plan and I got to make sure I'm on this insurance. And then they forgot the passion part. And then years later, when they finally figure out how to practice, they realize, oh, all I got to do is focus on what I'm passionate about. And I, all of a sudden my my uh, situation goes 10 X, you know, whether it's financial or personal. Yeah. For me, it's just like, uh, and then passion, it's, you know? it's, it can be hard because the money is just such a, I mean, the debt is such a cloud that hangs over you, but it's just the second out of the gate anyways. And, and I hope this changes because like the second you run a good practice and, and you're practicing using evidence base and you're educating your patients, it seems like running a good practice and running a good business are diametrically opposed when you start. So it's like, you got to sort of weather the storm and kind of stay true to, to your values and ethics and, you know, kind of the golden rule way of treating people. Um, then it's just, cause you want to build, you want to build a broad base out of the gate that you can build off of a lot of people when they, you know, they go this insurance route and they run the schemes, they do the orthotics, they get the neuro kilometer, whatever, I don't need, I don't know what chiropractors are doing these days, but when they run the playbook, they can, they can build up higher quicker, but they're not building on a strong foundation. So their glass ceiling is way, way lower. So it's, it's a bit of a grind and no one really teaches you or prepares you for it. But in retrospect, it's it, the, the broader you can build that base, the higher you can, the higher you're going to end up growing in the long term. Yeah. And it doesn't necessarily matter how big or small your town is. Um, if you're running a scheme, you're going to burn through whoever is receptive to that scheme in some period of time. Exactly. You know, and, uh, and, and that varies depending on, on your demographics and all that. But um, if you don't run a scheme, if you are genuine and you build a, a relationship-based business, then, then you don't have that limitation. You know, if you are truly passionate about powerlifting and you devote your energy to developing the powerlifting community, maybe more and more people become powerlifters and more and more. And that becomes a part of, of the, the society that you live in. And then you are also part of that too. It's, it's so interesting the way how those things work. Um, tell me 
what is what is like a, a visit like with you? Are you bringing the barbell into the treatment scenario? Uh, a lot of the times, depending on severity of injury and kind of their objective outcome, yeah. I mean, powerlifting is powerlifting was definitely my initial foothold in the sports market, but I've kind of branched out now to uh, football, rugby, um, more contact sports, but just kind of sports across the board. But if there is a barbell in their training or the barbell is what brings them in, it hurts when I squat, it hurts when I deadlift. Like there's a weird bifurcation even within evidence-based practitioners where their people are either clinicians first or athletes first. Right. I like to choose the athlete first because especially at the level of the athlete that I tend to deal with, you're, you're dealing with psychology first and foremost. And you got to understand that your treatment has to scale within a time frame, whether you like it or not, which is not ideal, but they're going to compete, right? They're going to go to the games. They're going to go to the Olympics. They're going to go to training camp for an NFL team. They're doing it regardless of what you say. So it's understanding that like the bridging the gap term is really like kind of an interesting one. It's, it's, it's a buzzy marketing term that manual therapists, whether it's physio or Cairo, they, they use that a lot. Like, Oh, bridge the gap between research and application. It's like, yeah, I don't really see that. Or what I see is like, okay, research says use green TheraBand. This guy's a little bit stronger. I'm going to use the red. Like that's not how it works. So from what I do is like, uh, I mean, initial visit for me, uh, you start with the exam history, all that stuff. But when like the rubber really hits the road, you got to understand with like high sympathetic drive athletes, like high input athletes, most therapeutic interventions that we get taught aren't really going to scale. And so a lot of times what I have to do is the corrective exercise piece is part of it, but the exercising correctly piece I think is huge because none of these guys or girls were really built up on a foundation of strong mechanics in the gym. They're all talent based sports by and large, right? Yeah. They're neuro geniuses. Yeah. Like kinetic in a kinetic way. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a good way to put it. So, you know, they're incurring these injuries in the off season, um, you know, not to, not to say that injuries in season don't happen, but like non-contact barbell related tendonitis, osteopathy kind of things that I'll get. It's like, well, let's see how you squat first. Right. Um, or, or let's, let's see how you deadlift. Let's see how you approach some of the unilateral work. Um, so yeah, I think there's an integration of mobility, stability, but I think a lot of people, if you're dealing with an athlete, you have to worry about the strength piece as well. Um, or the force production piece, whether that's, whether that's strength or whether that's acceleration. Um, because you can, you can bring them four steps forward with, you know, a a good treatment and, and proper corrective exercise, but they're going to take five steps back the second they load into a bad pattern or they, you know, they don't know how to squat or they don't know how to deadlift off the floor or off blocks or off deficit or anything like that. So I think at a certain level, it's just a matter of fitting the it's a matter of fitting the intervention with the athlete or with the patient. So yeah, the yellow theraband is going to be proved <laughs> in research, but research, the cohorts they use are not the patients I have. And to think that that stimulus is just going to scale linear. If I try to extrapolate out on the same graph, it's a totally different, different stimulus yeah. that we're trying to drive. Um, so yeah, I think integration of like just proper technique on the barbell and that's what powerlifting has probably taught me more than anything else. Cause when you don't have your technique right and you squat and deadlift, you know, you try to a lot of weight, 
it lets you know where the, the breaks in the chain are really, really fast. Um, so, I mean, I've fallen victim to a few yeah. missteps in my powerlifting career. I'm like, oh, that's what happens. Uh, I'm going to get this sewn back on, but now once it's, once it's back on, I'm going to know that, that people probably shouldn't do that. Yeah, the, uh, the force leaks that aren't apparent until you've got a couple hundred pounds on a bar. Exactly. I, I try to put it this way. I'd say like the average Joes, you can, you can break them down. Like you can put them through a test and they will eventually crumble. And it's at like what point, what point do you start to see them break? And that's where you know it's not objective. It is subjective, but it kind of is objective as well because you can sort of measure that. Like, you know, at, at this certain point, I can have somebody perform this exercise at this point and they start losing control. All right, cool. Uh, but with an actual, like a true athlete, it's not, it's not like a breakdown thing because they don't break down. Yeah. It's like you see a break right away. Uh, a classic example is who is that uh, Robert Griffin the third after he injured his knee the eighth or ninth time or whatever yeah. it was, and they put him under a barbell for a back squat, and his left knee just went wah 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 wah. Yeah, you're not going to. It, he's done. And I was telling my wife because she's the one that's got to absorb all my commentary. It's like oh, that dude's done. He's done. And uh, you know they put him back out on the field because he's going to get back out on the field anyways. I would too for a couple million dollars. Absolutely. And it didn't. He didn't last very long. And that knee gave out again. It might have even been his other knee. I don't remember. But it's, it, that's how I sort of look at it with athletes. And my, I mean, my exposure to pro athletes is uh, UFC fighters. And they're not as, uh, they're not as, um, they're not as, tr they're not the true neural drive type of athletes you're talking about. They're just maniacs. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a big there's part. There's a lot of breaks there. But yeah. then you work with rugby players. So. <laughs> A little bit more controlled of an environment. Like you can, it's UFC, MMA, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, these, the combat sports, it's a little disheartening from a true, like a proactive treatment method. Like yeah. you're in, in training camp stuff that you have to do with these guys is entirely reactive. Yep. Because you can't, there's too many. You're fixing leaks. You're fixing yeah, and that's, that's all it is. Because you don't, something could look solid, but everything looks solid until some guy's like heel goes right through your chin. And then it's like, well, I, I don't know what we can do about that. But the hard part with dealing with any athlete is they just have, they're really good at internally strategizing around things to hide it. I think that's where like a certain acuity, like you saw that knee, no one else saw that knee because they wouldn't have put yeah. it on TV if they saw the knee, right? Because yeah. they didn't know to look at the knee. It's like, well, yeah. he's probably got some pretty bad like structural instability. He doesn't have the function in the hip to override it. And that thing is just, that's oh, asterisk. Yeah. They started cut, they cropped that video and took the knee out after a while. Yeah. Well, and as, yeah, I mean, well, because that doesn't really fix the problem. If, <laughs> if it, fixed the, it fixes the YouTube link, but the commentary, yeah. But, but that's the thing, and this is where the bridging the gap conversation comes into play, where it's like, I take that really seriously because chiropractors, like, there's nothing that irks me more than the term sports chiropractor. It's like, oh, yeah, what's your sport? Beer pong? Get the fuck out of here. You know what I mean? It's like, it's, it's an old really, thing. it is a branding, but you don't understand when you are saying like, that would be like saying that you're a, you're a Formula One mechanic and then someone shows up with their LaFerrari and you only know how to do an oil change on a Civic and then you're going to blow every head and gasket out of a, you know, a million dollar car. So it's like you got to... No, bro, 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 bro. Uh, Ferrari posters on the wall. That's how yeah, you, that's how exactly. you know. 
Oh, it's so look at this jersey from no, someone no one ever heard of. Uh, yeah, for me, it's it's a totally different arena dealing with an athlete because I think a you got to understand the psychology first. You got to understand you, you got to be real with them, but you got to understand that at the end of the day, you're just some jackass with a diploma on your wall, and he's made more in the 45 minutes he sat down in your office than you're gonna make this month. So it's like yep. understanding how to reach and then having an ability to be empathetic, I think is huge. Like having experience in what they're going through. Like I've torn muscles, ACLs, MCLs, AC joints, labrums, you name it. And so you can, it's one thing to go, wow, that must be tough. It's another thing to be like, here, let me show you the time that I was bruised from my wrist to my pelvis. Cause I shredded like four inches off my pec. That at least gives them trust and hope and faith in the system because they can be one of the hardest people to get buy-in from because their entire, their entire career they're being marketed and sold from people who just want to tap the well when it comes to like financially or oh, yeah, their cousins, their <laughs> yeah. Oh, he's got a guy. I got a guy, bro. Let me tell you, I got a guy. Got a guy. I got to go yeah. see my guy. Yeah, um, so that, be- there is an exercise in empathy for that. If some of you find yourself empathetic, although the irony is if you do lack empathy. You're not going to listen to what I'm about to say anyways, <laughs> but it's uh, it's feel felt found. So what you did was you had somebody who was feeling something and you said, I understand how you feel. I have felt the same way too. And then you went through your exercise of how you tore your pack. And then you said, what I have found with my experience was that if you do X, Y, and Z, you're going to get some results. And then you show some leadership and with feel felt found you, you demonstrate empathy for somebody and direction. Um, yeah. And I think that's a, that's a vein of evidence that a lot of people are missing, right? Like if evidence-based is, I mean, yeah, clinical experience means more than just your own experience in the office, right? Like it can be your experience in managing your own injuries. So I think that's a huge piece where people do claim to be evidence-based, but it's like, you got to understand the the demographic or the patient that you're treating. It's like, if you don't have experience personally in treating or managing, and that's just coming from a theoretical knowledge, that's only one pillar of yeah. evidence base. So like, I think for me, and, and there's demographics, I don't fit with this. There are people who come in my office and you go, you know what? I don't think that this will be a good fit for you based off of the way that I treat and your lifestyle. I think you'd be better suited in someone else's office. And I'm okay with that. Um, Cause I find I get offended when people don't stay in their lane when it comes to their expertise. Um, so I would, I would imagine those people would feel the same if I tried to infringe on them. Absolutely. It's better to build relationships with those people. Like, Hey, uh, Cairo, a couple blocks down, you seem like, you seem like you're really, really good at, I don't know, diabetics who are about to lose a foot or whatever. And, uh, and I'm not, but, uh, Anytime you see someone who's really athletic, you know, I don't know how those conversations go, but you got to take someone out for lunch. Uh, you, you definitely, your own competition of these Kairos is not your competition. Um, none of us are seeing enough people. Yeah. You know? And that's the thing. It's, you don't, don't want to fight over the existing people who go see Kairos. You just branch yeah. out, like you said build, earlier. Build the relationship. Um, what are you doing with rugby right now? Uh, we're off season right now. Um, okay. Uh, we'll ramp up uh, towards the end of October and then we'll kind of be full bore through into the new year. Um, Do you wanna... so right now it's a lot of admin uh, program design. We've got some residual injuries we're dealing with uh, remotely. It, it's a little difficult with collegiate athletes. Um, mm-hmm. 
Just so would you like to say what college you're working with? Um, so I don't put any words in your mouth. Oh yeah. Uh, so uh, Stanford rugby team. So Stanford university in Palo Alto is, is kind of home base for me right now. I have a, um, I have a funny Stanford story. I was there when Stu McGill and Gray Cook quote unquote debated. It wasn't really sure. a debate. Yeah. Um, and I don't remember if that was nine, 2013 or 14. Um, uh, I think, yeah, I think it was 13. It was my first year here. Yeah. I think it was 13 too. And um, it, what put me on the map of somebody who has opinions that people should listen to, which is, is a stupid thing to be, um, was that I wrote a review. I wrote a, a short, I, I don't write short stuff, but I wrote a review of that event and it went viral, like in the PT and Cairo communities. Like the, that's you know, the only thing I've done that literally it went viral. Like there were hundreds of thousands of people that read it. It was oh, crazy. And um, um what was going on there that, that's interesting to this story was while we were there, they put us on a tour of the Stanford sports uh, medicine facility, which Beautiful. is immaculate and the weightlifting yeah. uh, room and all that stuff and giving us a tour and, you know, the massage therapy folks are here and the orthopedic doctor's offices are over there and here's the PTs and here's our Omega wave machines. And, uh, and here is the athletic trainers and the strength and conditioning coaches. And I, I was like, well, um, do you guys, where's the Cairo? Where do they hang out at? And the, the, the lady, the director <laughs> of, the, of the clinic, she kind of gave a little smile and she said, well, um, good question. And I got to tell you, we don't use chiropractors anymore. And I said, yeah. why? What happened? She said, well, what we had found was, you know, as, as, a, as a team, Stanford is a team, and we have a team approach to caring for these athletes, the chiropractors were not team players. You know, they would, they would um, I don't know, what ways do you want to put it? Like someone would come in and obviously, just like you said, there's something a little bit out of their lane, and they would try to hold on to the athlete a little bit longer and see if they could fix it. It's this lone wolf thing. Yeah. And the lone wolf thing could be great and it could be negative. And in this team environment, if you can't, if you can't work in a team, you know, they would like uh, denigrate the other professionals. Like an ortho would say, oh, you need to do the, we're going to have to do an injection in that area. The chiro would be like, ah, oh, you don't need an injection. We'll take care of that here. You don't do that on a team, man. No. <laughs> and what that had done at some point was it banned, for lack of better words, chiropractors from working with Stanford for quite some time. And I don't know if you broke that mold or what, but uh, uh, so I mean, I'm I'm strength and conditioning, so I am yeah, I am the equivalent of showing up to Stanford as a chiropractor inside of a wooden horse. And I'm yeah, no, that happens in the military all the time too. You ask Mark Losack and some of these other guys that were chiropractors that went off to serve in the military, and you they're like, you shut up about the chiropractic part, and you just do your job that you're assigned to do. <laughs> yeah. I, it, it'll come full circle just with the prevalence of of chiropractors in professional sports, especially at the Division One level, where football is the main driver. Like we're right. seeing, you know, we're seeing numerous chiropractors on professional teams, um, and I think the majority of teams that have not that this is causation, merely speculation, not even correlation. But um, uh, the Ravens have two chiros. I know they're. I want to say the Pats have two chiros. So teams that are winning championships granted i think there's a lot more to it than someone you know sitting in the back room with a dc um behind their name but that'll lead the way and that'll break down and that'll just create better exclusion criteria for schools to pick you know i was as you call it, like maybe the new wave of chiropractors that is going to integrate a little bit more uh seamlessly into a team system 
because uh, yeah, the big thing too with sports, especially like professional and and Division One, is athletic trainers rule the roost, right? Um, and there is somewhat of a, a fatwa against chiropractors from the athletic trainers, and half oh, of that you don't is, say, huh? <laughs> yeah, and a half of that I think is a hierarchy thing, which from scope of practice we we kind of uh, supersede them in our abilities to diagnose and refer out for imaging. Um, but I think their ability for on field, they're just better trained. Um, yeah. But just as we don't or didn't in that situation want to give up the athlete to the ortho, I don't think the AT is super um, enthusiastic to give up the athlete to a Cairo once you've carted him off the field and once ankles have been taped and whatnot. Um, so I think that's the case. And it's, it's, it's justified in a lot of cases where, um, I think we've done a really good job at continually shooting ourselves in the foot just with the amount of infighting within the own profession. And I think all we can do is, is just keep doing stuff like this and create good conversations and, and highlight and showcase, um, you know, what's, what's next for the profession and show that we can play nice and bring something to the table. And we're just going to have to let the old guard kind of die off because uh, they're not going down without a fight. Well, these, um, these pro chiropractors so the nfl and, and the major league baseball and, and i'm i'm not as studied up on the other ones but they um they they have their own organization so there's like a pro football chiropractic association and there's a baseball chiropractors association and i think the baseball one's got a pretty good system because you know baseball's got a huge farm system for minor league teams and things like that so a lot of those teams also have chiropractors that are involved and that's that's where we're we're probably the, the rubber will meet the road there is when you start to have those associations implement uh, protocols for all people who are going to be involved in any certain sport. Yeah. So it's and like I does with golf. Like if you're going to, if you're going to treat golfers, you have to do TPI. Don't assume that you're, uh, 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 you're going to treat golfers like you would treat anybody else. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's the I same think- with golfers as with powerlifters. I have patients that are, that are power that say I, I'm going to pick up powerlifting, and I assess their body, and I'm like, eh, you know, do it, but you're not going to be a powerlifter. And the same with golfing, like someone who's barrel chested and and uh, you know played post positions in basket, like a Charles Barkley guy is not going to be a good golfer. You're not telling me Charles got a great follow through. Come on, <laughs> I model my game off Charles. It's like they have butter, man. Yeah, like butter <laughs> off a biscuit. That guy's smooth. <laughs> but it's just some of the some of the morphology is not going to allow you to excel you can play with it you most certainly could play with powerlifting as much as you'd like and it's probably good for you to play a little bit but don't think you're going to sign up for a competition and smoke people if you're shaped like uh i don't know like like oosties and i picked the hardest name to say to reference a golfer <laughs> yeah that was that was like yeah i know i know who you're saying ernie ells would have worked That's ernie pretty- ells would have been a lot easier yeah um no yeah, i, I totally hell. agree it's uh it, it can be tough. I think the biggest thing with these, cause I've, I've done the thing in India at the combine with the football guys. Um, uh-huh. I just think once we start getting like a, a mentorship program and give people a community within the community that they don't have to go lone wolf. Cause I think at the fringes right now, when it comes to advancing your education is business, right? Yes. People are looking to upsell you this, this, we are already seen as left on a spectrum of conventional medicine, right? That's why I have to use the term conventional medicine and we are not a part of that. So buying into chiropractic as a, as a modality or a method of treatment is already left of center. 
Now what's happening is there's another education that exists left of the conventional education you're going to get with the MBCE or with Northwestern States or Palmer that is, is just, it's hyenas circling, looking to sell you orthotic packages or, or cold lasers or cryo chambers. And that's, that realm is where the sun doesn't shine. That's business. And that's where a lot of people get led to because they look to further their education outside of, um, outside of their degree. And, and a lot of what we learn is to know when not to adjust, I think. And in my opinion, that's what our license really is for. And that's why the doctor title hangs around because there is a, being a primary care physician, I'm going to air quote that, but a point of entry into the healthcare system, we do have a great responsibility. Now, most people can WebMD themselves and set their own exclusion criteria out of our office. Um, so we're not going to have to deal with serious visceral pathology, but when something does cross your desk, you're going to have to know damn well what to do with it. Um, so for me, it's if once we set up an education framework post graduation, that is in a, a mentorship or something that can lead people more through this sports vein, it'll give, it'll give another beacon, another Avenue that these new grads can go towards rather than ending up you know, inside some puppy mill practice and, and they're making guys millions on PI shams or, or something like that. So I think sports is, is really going to help level out the playing field because our value to the athlete is, is undeniable. And that's who really makes the decisions. When the athlete goes to the manager, Hey coach, I want this guy in the, the coach goes, all right, okay. All right. We'll, we'll make that happen. No, it's totally true. And, um, you know, the, the, we had a thing in Western States where when I first visited and I said, I think I want to go to school here. They said, well, have you heard of blah, 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 a board exam program? I said, no, no, what's that? And I said, well, after you're done with school, what a lot of these schools have is somebody there, there's a company or two or three that'll follow. They know when all the kids are graduating and they'll follow them around and be like, okay, now you're going to take this course and this course will teach you how to pass the boards. And then I looked at the president and the vice president of the college at the time. I go, what am I paying you for? <laughs> right. And they go, no, no. If you go to school here, those people don't come to Portland, Oregon. Uh, you don't need them. We will teach you how to pass these boards. And, and so, I was like, so that was kind of my selling point. Like I'm paying you to teach me to pass these boards. But I knew from the beginning, you're not going to teach me anything about business. <laughs> but how much and, of the curriculum that you studied was to pass boards and how much of it was as like a side sort of like fight club curriculum that'll actually get you by in practice? Because that was a dissonance that I found that really... Nothing, that it ex- was all boards, man. Yeah. I don't... I mean, besides... It, no, it was all boards. I don't think I learned anything there besides like how to be a good clinician and to, to do that responsibly, I don't think anything else was geared towards my success. Yeah. Yeah. That's a difficult part. Cause even writing boards, like having, ah, what's his name? He's up your way. Uh, DeBell, Ryan, Ryan DeBell. Uh, he yeah. put up a thing and about chiropractic philosophy. It's like, you want to call it chiropractic history? Fine. But our, our profession should really exist outside of the realm of, of belief of a belief system, almost like a religion. And I think that's yeah. where a lot of the change has to happen internally is, is the, the NBCE needs to check themselves and needs to look at some of the testing policies and the content that they're testing on. Yeah. It's like, you know, if one of the questions is, 
in like the D.D. Palmer story was the guy who was deaf who can now hear, was he a janitor or, a, you know, a <laughs> blacksmith? It's like, why are you asking me this? This yeah. doesn't, like, how many days was Jonah in the whale for? Like, it doesn't <laughs> fucking matter. Like, no, this it is not matter. pertinent information. So the fact that that's a full section of part one boards is like, we got a long way Um, and i I will admit there were some people from our school that failed the philosophy part i'm not gonna lie if anyone out there is steeped in philosophy our school was like we don't give a crap good all those board questions are taken out of one book so if you're listening and you haven't taken leech or you haven't taken the boards yet there's one book it's called the chiropractic theories it's by leech it's a it's actually a great book if you're into history (laughs) and not philosophy You'll, you'll love some of the historical things that are going on in the chiropractic theories. And that's where all those philosophy questions are, are taken from. If you just study that book, you'll pass that part of the test. But th- there is no chiropractic philosophy. And, and I know, uh, oh, I don't really give a shit if I offend anybody. There, there's a philosophy of chiropractic, like how it sort of developed, what it means, what it's going on, but it's not unique. It's no. the, the only uniqueness that 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 philosophy provided the profession was a legal defense against practicing medicine without a license. That's why it was created. That's why it was utilized. That's why it was parroted for so long. That's why it was drilled into everybody's head as a student. This is why you're a chiropractor. You look, man, don't screw this shit up. You need to say that out loud. Cause if you don't say that out loud, we're practicing medicine without a license. We don't need that anymore. Ladies and gentlemen, we do not need that anymore. So we don't need to parrot that anymore. But some people still, I don't, I don't know. Cause it's it, not me, you know, I'm not there. Indemnification of like a deeper thought process. It, to me, it's literally the God of the gaps theory. The, yeah. the adjustment is like, you and know, it comes into American know. history of like panaceas. Americans love panaceas. They love magical pills in a bottle. They love that laser. They love the quick fix. They love um pain this this culture like pain is bad instead of saying like pain is is just part of nociception that teaches us a lesson like whether we're safe or in danger and you need to listen to that uh like americans love that shit like ah i'm in pain make it stop or ah i'm I'm broke give me something quick to fix it or "Ah, i don't have any patience give me the positive feedback loop though right because we as not me we me and you but like we as chiropractors will push on that pain point pun intended and, yeah. and push that from that'll be the driver for the marketing, right? That's what you see, like these absurd treatment protocols, like these packaged 36 session, numerous time a week, I got to pay my boat off. I did, you talked about going viral. I did a video on YouTube uh, years ago. I, I, I try to keep up on YouTube. It's a little bit difficult with the thumbnails and production quality and all that shit. But <laughs> I used to, make that it was harder one now, of my yeah. first footholds in purveying information and more so just throughout like the fitness community. And I think it was an invaluable uh, marketing tool for me. Uh, and it also helped me kind of hone in skills like, oh, you would turn a mic on before and, and or a camera on in front of my face before and I would just freeze like a deer in the headlight. <laughs> so it was good practice for like public speaking. But I did one called three ways to spot a bad chiropractor. <laughs> I remember that <laughs> Every one. Every now and then um, it, it'll get shared through a website or something. Actually, it's funny. I just checked it now because I got an email coming in. Um, YouTube will notify you when um, someone comments on something. And I have a lot of videos on YouTube. And there are some that are unanimously well-received, like some shoulder work and some things and squats and all this stuff. So, you know, if I'm, if I'm having like a rough morning and I get like, oh, you know, the – 
the video you did on hip internal rotation has a comment. Like, I'll, I'll open it and I'll look at it. Like, hey, this is really helpful. Thanks. I'm like, you know what? I'm doing some good in the world. Man, I get 50-50 split on this Cairo video. And like, I've literally had people track down my email and send me death threats. And it was like, you know, an x-ray on an initial exam is a little bit suspect. Like, if they don't touch you, they just go immediately for x-rays. We're going to adjust off x-rays. It's like, yeah. If they're on group one, mm, you know, maybe, maybe don't pick your healthcare provider the same way you're, you're, you're going to f- pick a pair of, you know, on sale garden clogs at Target. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, it's got 110,000 views. Uh, yeah. So it's definitely, that one is taken off for, I don't know if it's the right reasons or wrong reasons, but at, at the same token for every death threat, I've had about um, five uh, job interviews or, or just <laughs> flat out like, Hey, come work. Or now I have friends kind of all over the world because people have reached out and, and they'll send it to their patients or they'll post it in their Facebook group. So uh, it, it can be quite a polarizing, polarizing. You may not believe this or not, but I empathize with that. Feel, I feel what you were feeling. I oh, have when felt you said the, the same thing. thing as the creator of the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance. I've experienced death threats and uh, name calling and... Uh, attacks on my own personal YouTube accounts and my own personal Yelp accounts from fake profiles. So I've felt what you feel. What I've found is fuck them. You got to do what you got to do to do what you feel is right. And they're doing what they're doing to feel what is right. Um, And then the war kind of goes on. It's like a Democrat Republican thing. That's it. At this point, you're not going to get rid of them and they're not going to get rid of you. Yeah. Um, Somebody in a previous uh, podcast, it might have been Craig Liebenson. I don't remember which podcast it was, but they, they made an analogy of a loaf of bread. It's like on one severe side of the most wackiest chiropractors in the world, those guys are just one heel of the bread. And then there are the most severely evidence-based chiropractors in the world, and they're hard to deal with too. And uh, they're the other heel of the bread. And then in the middle, there's all this delicious bread because carbs are delicious. Indeed. Um, but it's kind of like, and even when, when I do like a, a board reviews or, or when we discuss chiropractors and we discuss evidence and things like that, it's like there's this unwritten talk about like say the NBCE or let's talk about state board uh, regulatory bodies or something like uh, the leadership uh, associations. They get to a certain point And then once you start talking about what somebody believes in the profession, they don't really bring it up anymore. Interesting. Like, have you looked at Dr. Jones? He's a great guy. He's doing lots of work. And then you check Dr. Jones out and he's, he's talking about some crazy stuff, whether it's the neurocalimeter or whatever. Yeah. And you're like, they just sort of let that, they let that slide. Like, like even if I'm interviewing certain guests for this podcast, they're like, well, we can't talk about that stuff because I don't want to, I don't want to create detractors. You know, I don't want anyone to get mad at me. I'm like, well, <laughs> and, and I'm different, you know, and, and you might be like me. I'm like, well, we got to make some people mad around here. Something's got to change. Oh, that's you my know? goal every day. <laughs> yeah, I'm doing that. You're not trying. If I haven't pissed somebody off. Yeah. Well, I mean, if what is like the old adage, like if you don't stand for something, you'll, you'll fall for anything kind of thing. Yeah, so yeah. I, that, that just shows you're passionate about it. And if, and it makes you do your homework. Like when you wrote that article and it went viral, were you shit scared for like three days? I was like, interested. It interested me because I wasn't in this whole, uh, 
this whole sort of like blogging, Facebook, YouTube sort of thing at that point at all. I was just seeing patients and, uh, and I was mostly a referral based practice cash only. I didn't do any marketing. I mean, I was in my, my local rotary and, uh, and I'm a Freemason. So I was in my masonry group and a couple other local community groups, but I didn't do any stuff. And, um, people started sending me messages like you're a good writer and you should do more. And we want to hear more of what you got to say about this. And Hey, check this guy out. And people started adding me as friends. And it was, that's, that was weird to me because I had been just in this little cave of a lone wolf thing going on. I mean, I didn't associate with chiropractors at all. I worked with an MD and, uh, and in my little town, most of the chiros there were not like I am <laughs> for well, lack of better that. words. So, yeah. so even in my own community of chiropractors, I was sort of like a lone wolf or a pariah too. So, um, it was kind of weird. Now it was a lot different when I started making, uh, the, the, these, this Facebook group and I started doing some spoof YouTube videos. And that was my like, favorite. Those would get like 6,000 views or so in like a couple hours and people yeah. would share and be like, check this guy out. Like, that's weird. But it, like you said, you just do it in the first couple of ones you do, they don't feel right. It's clunky. The words don't come out of your mouth. Right. And then you do a couple more and it's like, you get a rhythm and it feels good and you want to do more of it and you become a better speaker. Your thoughts about what you want to actually talk about become much more clearer. Uh, there's less waffling and there's less indecision about what you want to say to the to the rest of the world. And I think that you know, like, and social media, you know, it, it's a very it, it's, it's very new, right? Like the the social experience of dude, we didn't have it when I was in chiropractic college. We, I mean, yeah, I mean, like there was an internet. You had to go to the library to use it. Yeah, but there wasn't. I think there might have been MySpace. And wow, mostly dude, you're dating like, yourself, man. They had like cat pictures and, and you what could play your song. What was your profile song? My profile song was probably like a, a local reggae band, like probably like Iration or... I'm going to look it up after this. Or yeah, it was probably like Iration or, um, you know, one of those local, local reggae bands from my hometown. And uh, one of those Santa Barbara type bands or Pepper or something like that. Hey, there you go. And... Um, yeah, and, and I had a girlfriend at the time when I graduated from chiropractic school, and she's like, there's this thing, Facebook, but uh, it's only for us, because she, she just graduated from Washington State, so she's like, it's, it's only for us college kids with a college email address, so you don't have a college email address, so you can't have one. They weren't accepting Western States as a college. Yeah. <laughs> Zuckerberg, goddamn it. Oh, once again, not a real school, damn. <laughs> and um, so I don't think Facebook wasn't a real thing till like 2005 or six. And I graduated like at two in 2000, the very end of 2004. Okay. So, um, and even then it was, it was still like cat videos and, and Oh my God, Jenny said something on my wall sort of yeah. stuff. It wasn't, it wasn't this marketing juggernaut thing where you could connect ads and link everything. And it's crazy now. Yeah. I think it comes with a good amount of responsibility. I think for us, it's definitely a net positive because it's giving these lone wolves a voice and connecting some of the lone wolves together. Oh, yeah. yeah uh, we had a conversation the other day, uh, me and some, I have a mastermind group and in the conversation, one of the guys said, you know, all this web presence stuff, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, whatever comes along the way, it's like the yellow pages from the old school docs. Yeah. So the, when the yellow pages first came out and the docs got on it, it was like a hot thing. It was like, oh, if you get in the yellow pages, you're going to get new patients. And then it kind of became played out. And then it became a thing where it's like, you have to have your name in the yellow pages just to prove you exist. Yeah. 
And I think what the future and what, what this person in my mastermind group was saying was in the future, you're going to have to have a web presence. Not, I mean, we've already established the website part. Like you, you have to have a website. Like you can't even like, you can't, it, it's very hard unless you understand story branding and marketing, things like that to differentiate your website from other people's websites, yeah. but you have to have one now or you don't exist. That's your yellow pages ad. That's your yellow pages now, but in the future, your yellow pages are going to be, does this guy have anything on, guy, I did it again. Does this doctor have anything on YouTube? Do they have any social media stuff? Do they have an Instagram? What, how do I know who I'm going to see? Yeah. And that's something that I can already start to track through my website activity is seeing where a lot of like my point of sale stuff is. Cause when people book online, they pay for the appointment through an online point of sale. So it's yeah. rarely cash in hand at the time of visit. Um, and I mean, well, for me being, I would say a little bit different in the way I approach things, I would say 80, 90% are through social media, Instagram, things like that, where you can see the whole progression patient, current patient tags, friend, friend clicks link, link to book appointment, books appointment that way. So I think if you have, if you have something to say, cause there is like, once you dive down that rabbit hole of like trying to figure out algorithms and hack the algorithm, all this, it's, you're, you're missing the forest for the trees. Like, yeah. Like with the article you wrote, right? You, no SEO, no. Prior <laughs> hey, hey, I wrote this thing. Here you go. Yeah. But it's like, cause before it used to be content is king in the sense of volume and frequency where it's like, yeah. no, no, no. Cream will rise to the top. Right. Yeah. So, you know, this, this fly by night, high production value, but no real tangible value coming out of the 60 second video that you're putting out or the, that that'll bounce around some siloed echo chamber of people who aren't going to come see you anyways. Whereas right. like if you can put out thoughtful and like immediately effective content in 60 seconds on an Instagram video that will make its way around. Right. So uh, the second I see a sponsored ad, that's like some guy down the street or I see the Yelp thing, you know, someone's paying to be ranked number one on Yelp or whatever. It's just like, ah, that's so cringeworthy to me. It's like, you know, it'll take some time and, and you got to put some actual real thought and put pen to paper. But I think it's, it's a very effective, and I just stumbled across it because, I mean, I'm a bit of a meathead and, and just in retrospect, it wasn't like I had planned out any of this stuff. But in retrospect, it's been, well, the only marketing tool I've ever had, really, I haven't done anything else other than that. No, those, those viewpoints come from two different angles. It comes from a young uh, provider, a young clinician who's trying to make it work for his community, and also from a young person who is a consumer of these products. You see it everywhere, you know? Yeah, and I think that maybe I the think young people can pick this out. That guy's fake. That guy's putting out an ad to try to get people. Yeah. That yeah. guy's actually putting content out for what I'm into. It's uh, it definitely understanding the perception of your social media footprint on the demographic. Like my mom would know that like if I was after, you know, women in their mid fifties, sponsored ads all day, you'd be trading uh, nickels for quarters at that yeah. point. Because yeah. My mom doesn't notice this when Instagram has something that's sponsored. She's like, Oh, what's this? I didn't know I was following this person. Oh, the cat video. Play, <laughs> right. Where it's like, you know, a more acute aware consumer is going to notice that and your conversion is not going to be as high as you want it to. So, but understand your demographic you're going after. If you're, if you're in pediatrics and you're targeting, you know, mothers of young athletes, then yeah, you could, you could change up your, your optimization and the way you present ads to a demographic and it'd be really effective. But 
you got to know what you're after when you when you go into this space because it, it's the internet is cached like stuff really doesn't disappear so right. you got to be really mindful uh, of the stuff that you put out because it can be hard to um, it's basically everyone everyone who lands on your page is a first impression right and it can be very hard to reverse the first impression so it, it can be weird to digitalize your personality and have that expressed without dissonance on a Facebook page or an Instagram page or a YouTube page. Yeah. And in, in the world, the society hasn't caught up yet to know that like, if you put something on a video, there's going to be errors and you know, you're going to have bags under your eyes cause you're tired and you're still making videos that they expect still TV quality stuff. Yeah. So it's hard to like just jump in and make a video like, but you have to, yeah, <laughs> you have to start somewhere. So um, my first Instagram video, it was when Instagram just went to 60 seconds and I was trying to explain, I, it was something to do with what core training being like an anti-extender or something like that. Something that takes well more or like much longer than 60 seconds to explain. But I'm like, it, by the time I finished recording it and I got it under 60 seconds, I was ready to pass out. I was, <laughs> it, it got a lot of traction because not based off the content, everyone was just like, hey, check out how fast this guy's talking. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just like nonstop for like 60 seconds but it, it was it was again it was a first iteration and now it, it's not like it's more thought out now it's just it, it's an evolution process there's a lot of people are afraid to to cast that first stone and it's like get busy making mistakes as yeah and i get a lot of students that reach out um through social media or will come out and visit the practice um and, you know, they're seeking advice because of the podcast, because of the social media presence. And the biggest thing that people need to realize, regardless of age, I think, is just get out of your own way, right? Like, yeah. you spend four years in an undergrad, likely in a, in a health sciences focus or kinesiology focus. You spend another four years in a chiropractic college. And your best friends become the people who are, you know, they're as equally educated as you. So you don't think that your knowledge base is really anything that special where, you know, it, it takes very little to blow the mind of an uninitiated, uninitiated person about very simple things in biomechanics that you pass over as so rude of entry that everyone, like this is question number one on who wants to be a millionaire. Like this is easy stuff. Yeah. But if the market you're after is, a, is more like accruing social capital, whether you have a, a business online or you're just trying to promote locally, it's like you don't understand how how little is taught at like in at a school like a high school level or even elementary school level about this stuff and everyone is trying to you know get in better shape and and stay healthy as they get older so you have a lot to offer and your experience mixed with your education is going to help be what establishes your brand so just get out of your own way like put the camera up say the stupid thing make the stupid thumbnail make the typo in the title so you know every time that you kind of check yourself and it just gets better and better that's right that's right i get i get tons of emails all the time you said this wrong you made this i got into my spoof videos i would purposely put in one wrong phrasing to see who really? yeah so all those videos have one like mispronounced word or one uh, out of out of context sentence just to see if people notice or not and they do they're like you suck you said blah 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 it's not that and i just laugh my ass off like you're smart you caught it i'm gonna start um, using that as an excuse for my poor grammar yeah use it for an excuse be like no i was planning that the whole time man yeah, I was planning that the whole time. but it's pretty obvious that i'm like saying a word wrong hopefully yeah. um yeah i always tell people you gotta have a practice focus and 
uh, and you center around, I mean, the, I don't know. Okay. I'll do it. Even though we're, we're sort of getting to the end here, the spine and sport guys, like everybody wants uh, in school, they want to, uh, they want to, they want to treat athletes. And so, and they don't want to be known as chiropractors, be a chiropractor, be proud that you're a chiropractor, put chiropractic in your name. If you got to, if you don't, don't, but don't go copying everyone else because they won. Like the spine and sport name is dying because everyone's playing it out. And now one, the minute I see somebody who has spine and sport in their name and they're not doing the sport part, the people I call uh, rhinos, rehab and name only, you've killed, you've killed the name, man. Yeah. Um, but so, so focusing on the practice focus, you know, having a, a, an avatar that you actually speak to, understanding that this social media stuff is not a necessary evil. It's a necessary good and you got to get good at it. And the only way to get good at it is you just have to do it and you'll learn uh, doing what Zig Ziglar said. Uh, your education is fine is for a brief period of time, but your learning is forever. So you got to keep learning, keep learning, keep learning. Um, other than that, Oh, what I wanted to ask you was in your assessment, do you think your assessments are after you've done your basic history and examination, which are required and essential, when you start to assess somebody, do you really feel like it's more from a strength and conditioning standpoint or from a clinician standpoint? Uh, strength and conditioning. Because yeah. I think the hard thing, and this is where Kairos miss the boat, and this is when I go out and, and I speak and I present, um, this is why the majority of, of my attendance now, um, or even like my online students that will lecture, uh, is more clinicians because we're sold a very structure-first model right? Which is very dissonant to the way the body actually works. So my assessment is very much function driven. I mean, I'm kind of, you do these podcasts enough and you kind of come up with quips and phrases, but it's like, regardless of morphology or pathology, our goal is to always out function bad structure. Right. Right. Uh, So I very much look at it from, you know, we'll start passive range of motion, see if there's any like potential structural limitations, but if I'm not going to bust out a scalpel and start cutting stuff open or injecting in the joints or something like that, the only tool I have to access the nervous system is function, right? Where I just adjusting is definitely an ancillary part of my treatment protocols and uh, adjust when needed. Um, but for me, it's, it's the network style of thinking leads me to, okay, let's see, you know, let's put water through the pipe and see where things start to break down. Um, so what most chiros will do, they'll go the x-ray route or x-ray is to their not like to their eyes outside of an MRI, a gold standard of structural assessment. And it's like, okay, that's, that's fine. I can subscribe to that. But if I'm not going to be changing the structure and I'm worried about the function, my assessments then move very quickly to a functional assessment. Uh, And this is something that I've kind of, you know, there are functional assessments out there, SFMA, FMS, and those are great, but those don't necessarily scale. And the research is starting to really, um, really, pull the pants down on a lot of these widely used um, functional assessment tools. Like it's just, it's just not there. It's not going to correlate. Yeah. People in the box sort of thing. Yeah. So I I think understanding like an understanding, like some fundamental biomechanics, there are screens that I kind of go through with everyone. Um, And, you know, I'm not one for systematizing it. I think you need to treat what's in front of you. You don't need to, to break out algorithms and that may be, I don't like to use the word art form. That's maybe the trade. There's probably a better way to look at it. I think art form lends itself to a certain level of subjectivity. Um, 
where it's like you need to be kind of a tradesman and like you could like out like logarithmically go about functional assessment um, if this then that kind of thing but if you do it you've done it enough times it's like you kind of know where to go next without consulting to a, a graph or a flow chart but for me it's it's definitely more function based because very rarely the stuff I deal with like if we're going to contrast structure and function when people are standing upright say in front of an x-ray um like an x-ray tube that is usually one position that they're not in pain so standing upright not moving good lying face up not moving usually good right that's usually when people like are in pain those are the two postures that they'll that they'll revert to like standing is semi straight up depending on the condition or laying face up or two things that elicit very little pain so i want to drive very um very little information from what I can find in that position because it's like, well, I'm not really going to try and mess up the one time that they're not in pain. I want to see where the pain could be coming from when they do start to move. So my assessments are, are very strongly function heavy. And again, a part of that is, is the demographic I'm treating is worried more about function, about being right. able to perform and, and compete at a high level. So that's my bias. And, and I've done it so much that, I like to think, I mean, I made the Ferrari Honda model earlier. I like to think that if someone can tune a Ferrari that, you know, changing an oil on oil on a civic is, should be easy, but there are some times where, you know, something is hiding in plain sight right in front of me. And it's a, you know, it's a, it's a mother of an athlete that I treat. And it's like, I can't get out of my own methods sometimes. And I'm like, right. you know what, here's this, this lady down the street, you know, she takes her insurance. I, I think it'd be a good fit you know, she's not going to, I'm going to give her seven drills. She's going to do none of them. This lady will see her three times a week for the first two weeks. And I think based off of her symptoms that that might actually be a treatment plan that's indicated for her where it's like her son, the football player, I can, Hey man, here's the spreadsheet. Here are the videos to the drills. I want you to do it in order when you're doing, you know, back squats. I want you to make sure they're front squats. So we're not shearing the SI joint. I want you to do some unilateral stability work, deadlift off blocks, progress four inches every week till we're down on the floor. And he'll just sit there and he'll ask me to do, can I do more? Can I do more? Can I do more? Right. So I can send him away with stuff. and I know he's going to do it where it's someone where the compliance isn't there. They can be difficult for me to overcome that object or that, that, that barrier to, to progressive treatment over time. And just like, you know, you have to go somewhere else. No, it's a very, you know, there are also, I don't know if you want to call them gurus or teachers or prophet. There are people who uh, definitely uh, promote that, that approach that N, N equals one, you know, McGill, who is my M Stuart McGill's the father I never had. Okay. Okay. Hey man, you're good. You're good. No worries. <laughs> and that's, that's how you do it. It's just a big playground and you see what the person can do with all your toys. Uh, you know, in, in um, Saruman and, and all these other, you, you test them under certain circumstances. And N equals one, the test is different for everybody. Um, man, I forgot what, I, oh, here was my last question. And I agree with what you're doing, by the way. So we, we're very similar, but just different populations. Okay, the fact I, that you're prefacing the question by buttering me up is really intriguing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, this final question is more a flashback to this Facebook group, this Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance group. There was a controversial discussion in there a while ago where somebody accused people in the group of being uh, wannabe personal trainers. Interesting. As was in, I, was I privy to that? 
I don't know. I don't think you were part of it at all. Okay. But basically, the gist of it was uh, a rehab in your treatment protocols is excellent if it's not damned necessary. But hey, man, some of you guys are taking it a little too far and becoming over glorified personal trainers and just overworking people. It's a flashback to my podcast with uh, Craig Liebenson as well, where there's like a, there's an exposure limit. Like at some point, you know, take, take the guys who adjust and they adjust day in and out and they adjust for everything. And that's what they do. They adjust, right? Yeah. Earache adjust, belly ache adjust, neck pain adjust. It's like, well, how about the guys who are, uh, back pain, rehab, neck pain, rehab, elbow pain, rehab, and not just rehab, but exercise. Yeah. It, it's the dosage. It's a dosage question. When is the dosage too much? And, and you already know the answer because you just explained it. There are some people who are not compliant at all and you got to get done what you need to get done. And sometimes it's under much more supervision under a watchful eye and other people, you can give them a spreadsheet and they'll run out and do it themselves. But you know what I mean. There are guys yeah, out there who are just exercising people until they fall apart. Yeah, and I think it's just both of those. It's the it's a loaf of bread thing all over again, right? Yeah. Or nutrition. Nutrition's the answer to everything. It's the answer to everything. It's not agnostic. It's people who are getting biased in their own delivery systems of what they do, and not understanding the person that's in front of them. That's how I look. Yeah, at it. I just if you want the biggest thing for me is understanding the baseline of where the patient's starting from, right? Because yeah. I would say I'm, I would maybe fall victim or be tagged using the parlance of our times in that post as a perpetrator of that. But understanding that, well, the p- population I deal with, I have to scale up my, like my treatment protocols to that. And yeah. because that's the only way I can make a lasting change. Like, you know, the, the L4, L5 adjustment is not going to do anything to a guy that squats 900 pounds. I'm sorry. The you know, the, the God of the gaps, the adjustment works in mysterious ways model is not going to fly for this guy who's going to load almost a thousand pounds on his back. So I, I think there are, again, been be, doing it for a decade. There's no, there's no disc in there anyways. It's yeah, all, no. So it doesn't be used as an adjunct. So I just think people, they don't focus on the spectrum. They just focus on where their wavelengths can reverberate from between frequencies. If you can, like if you can follow the comparison. So it's like, if you understand the spectrum and that's kind of the Ferrari thing where it's like, if you can tune all the way up to something that's high performing, you should have been able to take the requisite steps to get to that point. And that might be something that's more, you know, load based, but understanding again, just like adjusting when a license to adjust is a license to know when to not to, I think the rehab falls under the exact same component, right? Like chiropractic, at least what I was taught is Latin for of the hand. Is that, is that still, is that still yeah, it's something like that? It's like to, to practice by hand. Yeah. To yeah. Do by so, hand. And there, where I want to call like kind of bullshit on the next wave of practitioners is they're losing that. And Yo, I, and totally, I man. To the old guard, but not necessarily just of hand to adjust adjacent vertebral segments or whatever, but you know, uh, I think there's a, a great place for getting at the nervous system, making lasting change with myofascial work, with soft tissue work. I mean, I don't know. Can we use ART? Are they going to? I I don't know. It. Is, I mean, it's a thing. Okay, it's a thing it. that people do. Yeah. So. so you can use things like ART, and it's rather than like you know, I'll have companies reach out to me 
the Theraguns and, and this and the next. I mean, I got a I got a wicked jigsaw in the garage. I kicks the shit out of it. <laughs> it's a it's a Dremel. It's a beauty, man. I got a I got a. Yeah, you just ball. put an antenna ball on the end of that thing and go. Yeah, to well, I mean, right? if I want to actually change someone's scar tissue orientation, I'll just leave like a three quarter inch blade on there. It's the only way you're going to change scar <laughs> tissue, in my opinion. Um, but I think they're they're getting away to the the, the new age practitioners are going so modality based. And I, I agree, they're going so far into the rehab space that they're missing that intangible of the hand, that, that something that, you know, I can, you don't pay a plumber to bang on the pipes, you pay him to know which pipes to bang on, right? So I think right. when, we, when we put a tool in a hand or we're immediately reaching for the cold laser or the cryo tank or the, the grass and hot grips tool, when we lose that, that's what, that's our differentiation, right? That's kind of where the history lies. That's what makes us different. Um, so knowing that on either end of the spectrum that, yeah, the old guard does need to give way and understand that if we're going to progress, we need to also evolve our treatment protocols, but we don't want to lose the, the, like the actual ground contact when it comes to treating patients. So it, it's, a, it's a fine line to walk, but I think at the end of the day, you got to look at who's in front of you. Um, and, and not just apply a, a broad brushed um, protocol to everyone. Or if that is kind of your MO and you know then that your exclusion criteria is going to be what defines you and exclusion criteria isn't how much money you have in your back pocket. Yeah. Your exclusion criteria is, are you a good fit for this particular frequency that I'm resonating at as far as treatment protocols go? No, it's the same. It, it, to me, it falls in the same philosophical fallacy as the people that a lot of us make fun of when it comes to chiropractic who uh, they have the one cause one cure approach which yeah. is the adjustment but then when you skew your philosophy to well this is the most important thing uh, you know you, you discount like there is a time and a place where people need high velocity low amplitude manipulation there's a time and a place when people need soft, soft tissue work whatever technique you use uh, preferably by hand, and then there's uh, there's a time and a place for rehabilitation. There's a time and place for all this stuff, but where I start to get a little like ooh is when I see somebody's chart notes or their uh, their behavior, and it's they do everything. They do the same thing with everybody. Yeah. Um, but I think you hit on it. It was an old analogy. I don't remember who came up with the analogy, but it was uh, there was a manufacturing company a warehouse, and they their uh, their machine broke down and it was the fuse box and they couldn't figure out what, how to fix the fuse box. They called an electrician. Electrician came in, he did whatever he did. He fixed the fuse box and their manufacturing machine started again. And the, the owner of the, of the factory was so happy. He's like, Oh my God, we're back in business. We're making money. We were losing business by the minute that thing was down. Let's do this. Uh, let's get your, your bill paid up. And the guy forked over a bill that was an absorbent amount. Yeah. Like I'm paying you this much to fix a fuse. And he's like, no, 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 my friend, you're paying me to know which fuse to fix. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and that's, that's where these younger chiropractors have to understand all of them. Let's just not blame the young ones because obviously you have represented well today that the young chiropractors do and will, and most undoubtedly will continue to know what the hell they're talking about and, and represent the profession in a great way. Um, all chiropractors need to understand that the value of what we do is not in the things we do. It's in our expertise and our understanding and our intelligence of how this whole human body works with function and the nervous system 
and relates with structure and nociception and all these other things and how they all come into play and how we can help people naturally uh, perform better and feel better. So I am, I'm proud of you. Thank you. You're two Thank years you. in, Ooh. two years in. Yeah. Hey, Canadian though. You know, Canadians are just, they're just smarter, man. I, I, I've, I'm going to refer, I'm going to plead the fifth. I've how been many Canadians do you have at your school down there, your Palmer school? About 20. Uh, so a little different now when I started about 25%. Yeah, we were like at fifty. It seemed like fifty. It seemed like all of them were Canadian. Oh, yeah, you guys are right on the. I suppose a little closer to the yeah. border too. Yeah. But. So I'm used to the. I'm used to stuff. You guys are easy to make fun of, but uh, you got to take your Canadians seriously. They're no joke. <laughs> um, thank you very much for being on the show. Uh, I got a feeling we'll probably do this again at some point. Yeah, that'd be wicked, man. I appreciate yeah. you having me on. I know you're going to keep learning some stuff. I hope so. All right, boss. I'll see you later. See ya. Yes, that was my interview with Dr. Jordan Shallow. And now it's time for the pain zone finish. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, and brilliant, brilliant cat, isn't he? Dr. Jordan Shallow. I, I truly enjoyed that podcast. And you can tell because we kept going and we kept going. Uh, a bright guy, so look for him. His star is bright in this profession. Uh, he's got a good head on his shoulders and he knows how to articulate himself. And uh, he could put up monster weights. So those are good combinations. The pain zone finish here, my friends. I don't have an anecdotal story about my use of pain zone today. I just, I, I'm, I'm a tool bag guy. I just think you got to have a lot of things in your tool bag because you don't know what's going to walk in the door on any given Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, whatever. Uh, manipulation skills, rehab skills, personal skills, your ability to coach, to reinforce concepts, to educate, to motivate, to alleviate, um, all, all these different skills. But the, the, the other intangible things that you have in your tool bag need to also help you when you need to reach into that tool bag. And one of them is a solid analgesic that'll give you reproducible results. Um, and that is, that's pain zone. And I use it, uh, uh, you know, like, I would say I probably use pain zone daily now that I've really gotten into it when I feel like it's the thing that needs me to help me get this patient over that edge. Um, first and foremost, if somebody's got a lot of pain and, and I know there are, there are doctors on the straighter side of the spectrum. I know a lot of them aren't listening to this podcast. And then there are doctors on more of the uh, rehab-based spectrum that aren't completely symptom-based. And I truly think you should not be completely symptom-based. But if somebody's walking into your office with a whole lot of pain, you need to get that off the table first before you can get anywhere else. And a good solid analgesic will get that done. So that's why I use Pain Zone and recommend it and enjoy and am pleased that they are a sponsor of this podcast. Uh, that is our pain zone minute. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Usually I try to keep these, these pain zone finishes and, and my synopsis of the podcast pretty short when it's run long. And uh, me and Dr. Shallow talked for quite a while. Um, so let's just end this right here and say I'll see you on the next episode. I do know our next guest is a whopper. So it's a huge next guest. You'll want to tune in for that episode. And uh, we'll see you next time on Forward, the podcast, the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance. Take care.